This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. What's going on, Ann Camp? This is the Church Politics Podcast. This is Justin Gibney, the president of the Ann Campaign. And uh, despite his uh, disordered and unfortunate uh, beliefs about when Christmas starts, we do once again have the Chicago representative, the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend Chris Butler, joining us again. Chris, what's going on, brother? What's going on, man? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you take it there, huh? Take take your little cheap shot, huh? It's all good, good. stuff, well, man. I'm, as always, I'm glad that uh, that you're joining uh, us again. Uh, again, there's no promises that this will be permanent. Uh, I, I do want you consider to reconsider your opinion on some of the stuff we talked about last week, but we don't have to get into that right now. Uh, I just want to see how, how you've been doing, man. How's the family, man? Pretty good. We are uh, doing like everybody else, uh, living through this whole 2020 COVID and all that. But we're good, man. Now, I want I want people to get to know you a little bit, man. Tell us a little bit about your family, how many kids you got, your wife, uh, your church, things like that. Yeah, I mean, so I have uh, four kids. We have four kids. My wife, Aziza, and I, they are three five, seven, and nine. So, you know, every two years we were having a kid, whether we need one or not, but I think that's over now. Uh, so we're, we're moving forward. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I pastor a church in Chicago that, uh, uh, started as, as, uh, a small little church, the church that I grew up in, it was big and then it got really small. Um, and, and God spoke to me some stuff about how to, uh, began to do some revitalization, and we've done that, and, it, and we're growing. We're uh, in a couple locations now uh, in the south suburbs and, and, and one in the city. And, yeah, man, God is just good with that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. You know how it is talking about yourself. It's not my favorite thing, but. Yeah, now we, we appreciate it. Just, just want the, the listeners to get a feel uh, for who you are and what you're about, man. And, and as we said before, we said last week that Chris is – Man, been with the AN campaign almost since the beginning and, and has really helped shaped, shape who we are. So, uh, again, we appreciate you. You know, I got to mess with him a, a little bit. But let's get into the issues, Chris. The first thing I want to talk about is, as I've been speaking with groups and schools all over the country about how Christians should conduct themselves post-election, one particular question keeps coming up over and over. And the question is this. Do we have to talk to and fellowship with Christians who voted for other candidates. I received a variation of that question from almost every group that, I, that I've spoken to post-election. 
uh, it's and, and really it's, it's been asked sincerely. Uh, and at times it's been asked with a lot of pain, people who have, have experienced some some trauma in this regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I certainly don't want to trivialize it or downplay it. Uh, you know, the concerns that accompany this question are real and we want to take that into consideration. But let me give you my short answer. Mm-hmm. My short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should fellowship with Christians who voted differently than you. And here's why. Because Christian love cannot be based on political agreement or consensus. Christian fellowship cannot be politics centered. And yes, you don't have to tell me. I know that politics is important, that it often involves life or death consequences. Look, I spend most of my life right now, most of my time talking about politics for that reason, because I know how important it is. But as a Christian, We also have to know that politics is not an ultimate thing. And that's something I say all the time. I know Chris talks about it quite a bit. It is not an ultimate thing regardless of how important it is. Now, that is counter to what you may learn in academia. That's counter to what you'll hear on MSNBC and Fox News as they try to scare you to death. But that understanding that politics is important, very important, but not an ultimate thing is so necessary to be Christ-like in a polarized political landscape. Let me take you to some scripture real quick. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is that what distinguishes Christians in the political space right now? I don't think so. And this is why Christians are camouflaged within our political parties. This is why we're not distinguishable, right? We, many of us, not everybody, but many of us don't have the will or the moral imagination to love one another through a divisive election. Uh, We have contempt for other Christians because they voted for what we think was a bad candidate. And I just don't think that's acceptable. Uh, Listen, the world will give you a million and one reasons not to fellowship with Republicans or not to fellowship with Democrats because they're so bad. But Jesus doesn't give us any, not one. He doesn't say love your neighbor if you approve of their politics or love your neighbor if their political analysis is sound and pleasant to your sensibilities. That's a lesser love than what Jesus talks about. That's a very fickle and frail secular conception of love. And might I remind you, and Chris could tell you about this too. In Mark 2, Jesus goes to the tax collection booth and he tells Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, to follow him, makes this tax collector one of his disciples. Then he goes to this tax collector's home and breaks bread with other tax collectors and sinners. And if you think that's not that didn't have political implications, boy, are you mistaken? There was a reason why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law got upset when they saw this. And the reason was because tax collectors or publicans, as they were called, were despised by the Jews. They were the biggest sellouts in the community. They were doing the bidding of an unjust Roman Empire. They were the hand of the oppressor. They were corrupt. They were overcharging their own people, who many of whom were already poor. Uh, They forced some folks into debt slavery just to make a buck. And they were referred to as robbers for a reason. Now, if you think that you're so much better than the people who voted differently than you. I just remind you of Luke 18. You might recall that the Pharisee was thanking God because he wasn't like the tax collector. 
He thought he was better, but he wasn't. And, and Jesus admonishes those type of thoughts because his love is bigger than the tax collectors, political and social offenses. His love is bigger than the Biden voter or the Trump voters, political and social offenses. If we're committed to being like Jesus, then we should fellowship with those who voted differently than us. So that's the beginning of my answer. I'm going to toss it to, to Chris. What, what say you, brother? Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, when we're talking about fellowship among believers, um, a couple of things, because I haven't, you know, talked to nearly as many audiences uh, since the election as you have, Justin, but um, I've definitely been in some of these conversations. And, and one of the things that I say is is that you don't, you can't add to the gospel, right? Every time you get ready to uh, use this phrase, um, you know, I don't see how you can be a Christian and whatever you put in that blank, if it is not um, believed that Jesus Christ uh, is the son of God, that he came to the earth and uh, died for the remission of sin, rose on after three days and is coming again, if you add anything else to that, then you add it to the gospel, right? So, so we can't raise party politics or any element of our politics to the level of the gospels. Nobody is in or out of the kingdom based on how they voted. Um, and like you said at the top, Justin, this is not to trivialize the conversation, right? Because it it bears with it some real and genuine pain. People uh, have deep set beliefs um, that impact their lives uh, and impact the lives of, of folks around them uh, is not trivial and it's not always easy, but it is what we are called to. Uh, Justin, you were talking about um, Jesus relating uh, to uh, to the tax collector, Matthew. Jesus also calls into the same fellowship, Simon the Zealot. Mm-hmm. So you got a tax collector and a zealot. Right, who is a, a member of a, a political party who would be, I mean, ready to kill somebody like Matthew. Um, but Jesus calls them into the same fellowship. And that is the fellowship that Jesus calls us into. Uh, and, and that fellowship is not always uh, kumbaya. It may involve having very serious conversations about the issues and the things that are happening uh, in our individual uh, experiences and communities, but we are called to that. And it is what the larger body politic needs. I believe that perhaps the greatest contribution that the church can make right now to the larger body politic uh, is to be an example of what it looks like to have real, genuine disagreements on politics and policy and be able to have uh, still civility, fellowship, and love. If we can't find our way back to that as a nation, then we're in big trouble. And I believe that the the church perhaps has the best opportunity to find a way to that and to demonstrate that. Um, and not only would it bring that tremendous uh, glory to the name of Jesus, like like Justin talked about. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Uh, I do think it will be a significant contribution to the larger body politic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, 
you know, even the what does it say? Even the tax collectors, even the publicans love those that love them. Uh, and so something is something about being Christian that not only when you disagree with somebody, but even if you think somebody doesn't love you, mm-hmm. that you would love them anyway. Uh, I think you made a great point at the beginning that it's even a higher standard when it talks about other believers. And so we're going to talk about this a little more after the break. But let's take this break real quick and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we are back with the Church Politics Podcast. We're talking about why Christians need to fellowship, need to talk to, need to love other Christians who may have voted differently than them in this last election. We know that it was a big election. We know that politics are important and that they're life or death issues and that it's uh, about people being separated from the parents or not separated from the parents or babies being aborted or not aborted. The question is not whether it's important. There's always been important life or death issues dealing with politics. It still doesn't remove the obligation that we have to love one another and to be in fellowship. And as Chris mentioned earlier, we should not add anything to the gospel. And many times it seems like we might be doing that when we base our love and our fellowship on who people vote for. Look, your choices, your political choices might be more knowledgeable and compassionate than the Christians that voted differently than you. They might be. They might not be. I mean, that 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 could be the case. My message isn't that all political positions are equivalent or that they're even faithful. Right. What we're trying to say is that ultimately you are a beneficiary of grace and you need to give some grace and you need to find ways to uh, fellowship with people that you might not agree with. And, and let me be very clear. None of us is focused on or knowledgeable about every life or death issue. It's impossible. We just don't have the bandwidth. So I would say be very careful about condemning people for not prioritizing the same issue as you do. I can name a whole lot of very serious issues that you overlook, that you just haven't addressed. And so you have to understand that sometimes people aren't going to address and prioritize all the same issues as you. Here's what it comes down to in many cases. Everybody does not prioritize abortion. Everybody does not prioritize race. Now, they definitely should care. Uh, They definitely shouldn't add to the iniquity. But people can be faithful and have a and have different priorities than you do. And that's a hard truth that we don't necessarily like to accept. Again, it's not that we're all equal. It's not that one opinion can't be more informed or compassionate or conventional than another. But how far does that take you? Right. Where does that take us? And I think in many cases we can still be faithful. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that you can't tell someone that they're wrong in a loving or truthful way. It doesn't mean that you have to act like everybody's opinion. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. No, these these opinions do matter and they affect people. Uh, This doesn't mean that you can't passionately 
correct what you see as a violation of Christian ethics. You can do that. Of course, there's a certain way to do that. But what I don't think, and it sounds like Chris is saying the same thing, that you can cut off Christians because you have contempt for them based on their political decisions. If you do so, I would say that that's based on ideology, not the gospel. That's based on what you're seeing on uh, television or that's based to what you may have learned in school. That's based on what your peer group or influencers are telling you. That's not based on the gospel. Now, I'm I'm going to say this and then turn it back to Chris. I'm also not saying that you have to talk about politics with these people that you may get into it with. Right. That doesn't have to be the number one subject. It doesn't have to be about, about about politics. Talk to them about something else. Just serve them. Find something to laugh with them about. Emphasize something else, but find a way to love them. And lastly, if someone is being physically or spiritually abusive to you over this issue, that's another matter. Okay, you don't have to subject yourself to that type of trauma. Please understand that. Full stop. Right. We're not telling you to be around somebody who's being abusive over this issue. That's not the point. That said, be very careful about using an expanded definition of spiritual abuse. Someone is not spiritually abusive to you just because they voted for Trump or voted for Biden. And this is really a word, especially for the progressives, because we're being taught that words are violence and disagreeing with us is violence. And that's just not necessarily true in most cases. Don't put up with abuse, but also don't have an eggshell definition of abuse either. Chris, I'll let you have the final word. Yeah, I'll just say a a couple of things. One is that, you know, in in a lot of other areas of of Christian life, we've actually learned to celebrate diversity. Um, You know, everybody wants to have a multicultural uh, church and um, you know, we just we've learned to to celebrate more diversity and spiritual gifts. Um, I wonder if there's a way for us to learn to celebrate diversity uh, in political engagement and emphasis. Um, like you said, you know, there are positions that are just not faithful um, and and that just exists in the world. But just because somebody doesn't emphasize or prioritize what we emphasize or prioritize doesn't mean that they're not doing a good thing. And and one of the things that has become more clear to me uh, through this season is is how awesome it is to be a part of a, uh, a group, an institution, a body that we can say uh, we have folks who are holding it down when it comes to life and uh, protecting the lives of the unborn. Uh, and out of the same community, we have people who are holding it down when it comes to uh, racial equity and um, economic justice. And just over the whole range of issues, we have people who are really concerned, very well educated um, and deeply engaged on this whole range of issues. And if we see ourselves as one body, uh, that can become something that we can learn to celebrate. Again, we're not celebrating folks who are in positions that lack compassion or lack convic- conviction. Uh, and we're not celebrating folks uh, who are adding to uh, to the hurt, the harm, and the evil that is in the world. But just because they're not prioritizing what we're prioritizing doesn't mean that they don't care. Um, and can we learn to celebrate uh, the diversity that we have in the body? And the second thing that I would say, and it's something that I'll say it quickly and move on because it actually uh, stirs me a little bit and, and it stirs my emotion. Um, 
that as Christians, as the time in the age grows on, we cannot vest our hope in politics. And is, is, you'll be hard-pressed to find somebody who is more politically involved and more serious about politics than I am. But we, that's not where our hope is. And there's so many things happening in our world right now. Uh, people losing their lives and losing their livelihoods. Where we have to be pushing some people a hope that is much greater than anything that politics or government will ever be able to offer. Um, and so as believers, I just pray that we're able to get our focus back on the real hope that we have. And that doesn't diminish our political engagement. Trust me, it doesn't. But man, we have a hope that's way past politics. And that's what we need to stay connected to the most. Very good, Chris. I mean, because it does feel like when people get and, and I, I'm not I've, I've been very upset about uh, elections before. So it's not that we're immune from kind of being upset about an election, but it's a matter of how far do you let that take you? You can be upset. You can be frustrated. There are a lot of emotions that you can have. How far do you stay in that place and how does it impact your relationship with other Christians? Disagreement about very serious issues, issues that really upset us is a part of life. Uh, we have to love through it. And I think Chris makes an excellent idea. Where is our hope? Because when we seem so devastated, so disappointed in other people to the point where we don't want to talk about it, it seems like our hopes in the politician that we hoped that, that, that they would vote for or the issue that we hoped that they would uh, come along with. And that's just not where it should be. Keep in mind that our civic engagement, our social action is to glorify God. And we become we start to become or at least sound very humanist when we, we you know when we get into all this other stuff about who we can talk to and not talk to based on how they voted and all that. So just just a word from the the, the and campaign uh, church politics uh, folks. Uh, but we will be right back. We'll take another break. And then I want to talk about the uh, the politics of of COVID-19. We'll be right back. All right. We are back with the Church Politics Podcast, and it should be no surprise or no news to anybody on here that we've been going through a very serious crisis, a crisis like many of us or most of us or all of us haven't been through before. We know that COVID-19 has been devastating. It has changed our lives. It has changed how we how close we can get to each other, uh, if we can go to church or not. And so 2020 has really been a wild year in a large part because of COVID-19. And we know that a whole lot of other things were going on as well. Uh, just to give some of the stats about where we are with COVID-19 today, so far there have been 11.3 million cases of COVID in the United States. There's been 247,000 deaths. Wow. And it looks like there's been 1.3 million deaths worldwide. This is nothing to shrug at. It's nothing to uh, uh, overlook. This is a big deal. Um, now, from my understanding, there's another surge of cases going on right now, and many states and cities are going into lockdown. Uh, some would say that President Trump might have lost the election because of his COVID response. Some people didn't think it was uh, sufficient or, or, or leader like uh, we've seen things like 
California Governor Gavin Newsom getting caught at a party as he was telling Californians to stay in. I know Nancy Pelosi got caught uh, breaking the rules. And I think even Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago got uh, caught breaking some of these rules that they had laid down, which is a, another issue. But these are all part of the politics of COVID-19. It, it's just been crazy. Chris, if you recall, we did a couple podcasts and you were you were on there with me and Michael during the crisis. And one of the main points that we all agreed on very early in this crisis was that we could not allow this to become a partisan issue. We could not politicize it. We said this over and over. I don't think any of us necessarily believed that it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be handled that way. And, and we were right that it was handled in a way that became partisan. On my, you know, from my point of view, I, I had some disappointment with both uh, conservatives and progressives on, on this issue and how it was handled. My, my issue with some conservatives, namely the president, was that he tried to downplay it too much, right? You know, you don't need a mask. Uh, it's not that big a deal. It'd be out of here soon. We're almost out of this. I'm all for, you know, keeping people up and not letting people get too down or too afraid. But it, it certainly went into the point where he just didn't seem to at times be telling the truth and was more worried about other things and actually the health of the people that were, you know, that were uh, in the United States. That's one take on it. And, and I think he could have handled that much better, although I don't, I'm not sure that the press was always fair and how they, you know, and how they. um characterize what he was doing my issue on the right which was a, my issue on the left rather which was somewhat of a lesser issue but still a very serious issue was that in trying to do or 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 in trying to suggest the opposite of what trump was suggesting i don't i think they downplayed the consequences of lockdown uh, i think you know because many of you know many of the folks in the professional class professional progressive class had netflix and they had they could work from home uh, and they didn't have to worry about their checks coming in. It was just like, hey, we can do this forever. And anybody who doesn't feel they can do it forever, uh, that's on you. Uh, and so we talked about this over and over. Chris, what are some of your thoughts as we go into, what is it, the ninth month, 10th month of, of this COVID crisis? What have been some of your thoughts about the politics of COVID? Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of the same things uh that you see, um, I, I do think uh, at the beginning of the crisis and, and throughout um, that, you know, the, the president just seemed to not be able to pivot. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that, you know, when somebody is the president of the United States, everybody who is not the president of the United States uh, is a political beneficiary uh, of a crisis like this. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, when, when you're running against somebody who had to be president, when folks were learning about COVID, you can go back and say, well, I would have done things very differently than what this person did because you weren't the president of the United States. Uh, and some of the early decisions in terms of not uh, sounding a full alarm right away, uh, I think you know, I still judge that as a little bit disingenuous uh, to suggest that you would just get up and shut down the, uh, you know, the, the largest economy uh, in in the world um, on the the word of you know public health officials. But again, this is what politics is, uh, and if you're not the president of the United States you benefit from that. And if you are the president of the United States, uh, you have to 
you know, deal with how you dealt with the crisis. Uh, but it is, I mean, it was a very real crisis and none of us know uh, what we would have done uh, in that office, except for the one person who was in it when this came. Um, when it comes to uh, the the politics of, of lockdown, as this stuff plays out, um, it's really hard uh, because you, you don't want to seem like you're downplaying uh, a very serious health crisis. Um, but I have, you know, I'm in Chicago. Chicago and the state of Illinois had some of the earliest and most uh, severe uh uh, uh, restrictions. We were sheltered in place uh, from mid-March until mid-May, completely sheltered in place. And the impact of that also can't be overlooked. Uh, you know, there are organizations and businesses that were institutions in the city uh, that are gone, right? Like not coming back. Uh, you know, e- even just sitting around and you know, I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but, you know, everybody's gaining weight. Uh, people who live by themselves are lonely. Um, you know, pastors are 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 very stressed, I think, um, just from not being able to put eyes on people. Folks sick and you can't visit them uh, in the hospital. Right. So uh, all of these things have to be taken into consideration. Um, when we think about lockdowns, and I'm, and I'm not saying that you can't have restrictions, um, but I do think that somebody has to have an eye toward when does the solution uh, become worse than the problem. Yeah, because it, and my big issue, too, is not that everybody should have gotten it right and exactly right there. You're correct. There has been a lot of armchair quarterbacking. Uh, based on what decisions people made in the heat of the moment. And we both know that governing is very hard. So I do give people some grace uh, there. My bigger problem was that a lot of people's reactions, even some of these folks who should be governing, was based on politics. It was based on what conservatives should think or what progressives should think instead of having a real conversation about what we have to do and what's best. Uh, As this time goes on and we go into these lockdowns, I'm going to be honest with you, Chris, one of my major concerns that, you know, almost keeps me up at night is when it comes to education and when it comes to education for kids who were, you know, who come from low income households who may have already been getting behind. And this time, whether it be technology issues, whether it be that there's nobody in the house to help them out. I think has been really tough from the stories I heard on those kids, Uh, just that they there's a a high likelihood that they could fall even further behind because this virtual learning is just very hard uh, to do in those situations. And I'll be honest with you. It's hard to do in my situation. Right. Uh, Me and my wife have a, a good amount of flexibility, but it's still hard and you still wonder how much is your kid learning through this virtual learning? And so I really worry about the educational aspect. My other big worry and you kind of named it is 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 folks who are living in the, on their own that may be lonely or folks who have mental illness and folks who may have drug abuse problems. That's a big issue for these folks to be locked down. And do not get me wrong. This is not to say lockdowns make no sense. I don't know why they're doing it, but we have to be concerned about that and know that these might be issues that don't become obvious to us until a little ways down the road. Uh, and so we have to pay attention to those, not to mention the people that live in abusive households. And, and you know, when you 
getting out of that household is kind of a relief to you. And now you're stuck there. These are things that we have to consider. I'm not sure they got a full consideration because the partisanship got into it. The ideology got into it. And I do think people were making decisions based on not being like Trump or not being like the progressives instead of having a a true conversation about what we should be doing with all that set aside. Uh, I'll let you have the the last word on this one, too. Yeah, the the education piece is so important. Um, And it's it's very interesting how this is playing out in uh, all the different local places uh, around the country. Uh, But it's so critical. I, I won't go through my background, but if, if I had a, a policy expertise, uh, it would be in, in education. And they, this gap that we're creating with this virtual learning um, is, is one that the data tell us that kids will never catch up, right? They will never catch up. And it is, to me, unconscionable that that that's not a huge part of the conversation. Um, and, and I just think that a lot of school districts weren't ready for this. Um, you know, we homeschool, right? Uh, so when you look at what was set up around the, the, the country, uh, it seems like nobody really had a conversation with a homeschooling family. Um, and, and a lot of school districts tried to reproduce what they had happening in the classroom on a computer screen which, I mean, you just can't do that. It seems like folks didn't have a lot of conversations with people who were doing home-based learning or folks who did online learning. Because a lot of what I'm seeing in the virtual environment, it doesn't look like what I've seen in most online learning environments. And it certainly doesn't look like at-home education. Um, you know, really, we'll have another conversation about the the policy and politics around education. But it, it, it really, to me, seems like uh, the the lack of preparedness that a lot of school districts who serve uh, black and brown children and children uh, who come from uh, poor families, that lack of preparedness, I think, has been in a lot of those school districts. And it was badly exposed uh, by this crisis. And it is it is the next crisis that is going to be way more profound than COVID-19. Um, how, how to possibly set right uh, a whole year of learning loss for a whole generation of students. Well, let's keep our eyes on it. Uh, I just beg anyone who listens, because we do have folks who listen to this podcast who are in leadership positions. We appreciate you listening. Let's just do our best, stay prayerful, and try to make our decisions not based on ideology or what we think or trying to avoid being like the other side, but make it in the best interest of the people. I'm confident folks will do that. Uh, we got one more uh, segment. We'll be talking about another uh, unfortunate subject of some of uh, some rappers who have, have passed away in the last uh, few weeks. We'll be right back. We're back with the Church Politics Podcast, and this is, a, a, again, a little bit of a sad conversation. Uh, within the past month or so, uh, several well-known rappers have been murdered uh, in cold blood in the streets. And it's been hard for me because I am a, a, a hip-hop, hip-hop fan, have been for a long time. And so to see folks like 
uh, FBG Duck, who's actually from Chicago, King Von, who's from Chicago, and Mo3, who I believe is from Dallas, uh, get murdered within, again, the last month. has been disappointing. I, I didn't follow all of their music, but knew of them. And it just is never okay to see as a hip hop fan, but also just as a black man and, and, a, and a Christian. Uh, also see folks like Little Boosie and Benny the Butcher get shot uh, just days after all this stuff happened. Uh, and so it, it's too much. You know, the, the violence has to stop, which brings up this conversation, Chris, that that we've been having for a long time about black on black crime. The new line that I've heard coming from progressive spaces uh, is that black on black crime doesn't actually exist. Right. Um, and, and what what they mean, I think, when they say that is that every group is more likely to commit crimes in their communities and against people who look like them if they're around them. So black on black crime was a thing that just just kind of popped, you know, just is called that and it's demonized, but it's not really any different than any other uh, situation. And I think the reason that that came up, I think the reason that people have taken that uh, posture or use that rhetoric is because way too often when you bring up racial justice, when you bring, bring up police reform, when you bring up police brutality, certain groups, sometimes many majority Christians is the first thing they say is what about black on black crime? So instead of addressing the issue that has been mentioned, addressing an issue that may be in their sphere of influence that they should care about, the first thing that they do is deflect to something that they can put on somebody else. Um, and I think that is a very unfortunate and unchristian thing to do. If somebody brings up an issue to you that is an injustice or that that needs to change, that is that makes our society disordered. And you automatically bring up something else to kind of throw it in their face so that you don't have to take the blame or feel any responsibility. I just don't think that's a Christian stance. I don't I don't think that's what what people should be doing. And so I think. The idea that black on black crime doesn't exist, and I seen a, I seen a, a friend of mine put uh, kind of give a long uh, explanation of why that, you know, why she thought that was the truth. It comes from that deflection. And let me be very clear. I think for Christians to deflect in that way on other issues, it, you know, it's, it, Chris, it's like, you know, if your wife says, hey, Chris, you, you haven't been throwing out the garbage and you say, well, you haven't been uh, doing the dishes. It's very clear that you're just deflecting. Right. You don't want to talk about what you haven't been doing. Right. Or, or something that you could do better. Um, and right. again, I just don't think that's how you love your neighbor, especially when you're talking about people dying or people being treated unjustly. And I think that's where this conversation about black on black crime not really existing comes from. But I'll say this, and this could be mm -hmm. controversial, but, you know, us, we don't we don't say just what people want to hear. I think it's a mistake to say black on black crime doesn't exist. There is truth to the idea that uh, people are going to commit crimes more likely with the within their community, with the people that look like them. And that's not any different for any other community. I, I don't I don't um, necessarily disagree with that. The problem when we're talking about especially this violence is that the rate is way higher. And so for us to deny that it exists, the reason that I have a problem with that is because that doesn't hurt anybody but us. Right. Um, and I know there are people in the community that focus on it, that care about it, that spend their lives trying to deal with this issue. That's not my point. We cannot start using rhetoric like that 
to deflect in the same way that things are deflected on us. Majority Christians who are told about unjust injustice and things of that nature should not point to black on black crime to absolve themselves of doing anything about it. But the answer is not to say that it doesn't exist because it tears up communities. Chris, I know you've had some experience and you don't have to go into that just even within your church uh, when it comes to this type of, of violence. Uh, and so I would just say that's not somewhere we should go with this conversation. It's happening. It's happening too often. It's taking our young, uh, gifted brothers and sisters out of our communities. It's got to stop. And regardless of if somebody wants to use it as deflection or not, we have to deal with it. Thank God for those people who are. But I don't think we should go into the direction of where we act like it doesn't exist just to kind of prove that we're uh, that we're perfect and and. You know, it, it doesn't we don't need that to make our case stronger. People should be doing justice anyway. Uh, but, Chris, what, what are your thoughts just on that? That whole conversation? Yeah, I mean, it is uh, to me very unfortunate. Um, it is the kind of thing. And uh, as, as you just alluded to, Justin, you know, I've, I've been involved with this. I founded something here in Chicago called the Chicago Peace Campaign um, that has worked on this stuff since. I mean, 2006, 2007, um, and it, it is not the kind of thinking or messaging, if you will, that comes from the communities and the places uh, that are being impacted by this. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that based on, you know, going and doing a bunch of research, but I can almost guarantee you, man, that this did not that kind of thinking did not get its genesis uh, in the uh, in the living room of a of a mom who just lost her son, um, and and so it, it's I, I, I want to be judicious with my words, but it is it is it is very unfortunate in my opinion. Uh, if anybody uh, is is pushing that kind of narrative now, uh, you know I, I would agree that the the language of black on black crime. Uh, is problematic. Uh, usually, when I'm talking about uh, the issue, I'm I use the phrase community violence. Um, but to to take that kind of uh, it just seems like a very academic approach to the issue, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I think this is another one of those is instances, just like defund the police, where you have people in academia who are trying to preserve a narrative um, and that narrative doesn't fit what the people on the ground are really experiencing and seeing. Uh, so we can agree that, that uh, the, the term black on black crime has been used, as I said, to deflect uh, it is problematic, but we can't act like the problem doesn't exist or, or it's the same in every uh, among every group. It's just not the truth. And so we have to deal with it. Every, you know, every culture has their issues and it just so happens that people who the cultures that have power get to impose their issues and their problems on other people. Uh, so it doesn't make us worse than anybody or anything like that. But we have to deal with those issues. It does not help to act like they don't exist. And I, I've seen this just a lot coming out of kind of progressive academia, where if it doesn't fit the narrative, if it doesn't allow us to blame the right people, then it doesn't exist. And that's just not a good answer for the people who are experiencing this, who are living in these areas and have to deal with it from day to day. Anything else on that, Chris? Yeah, I, 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 I just want to, you know, add that, you know, I'm 
I'm with it. Like, I understand that you don't want to have the community being stigmatized. Um, and if y'all want to start a movement on, you know, white on white crime, knock yourself out. I, I just think that it, the goal of it, of having a conversation around uh, black on black crime not existing, uh, you might not get where you think you're getting to with that. Um, because what you do is uh, you make a road toward people picking up that same language, the, the same people who you're trying to keep in line, the ones who really don't care about the issue and how it's impacting our communities. They can pick up that kind of talk uh, and use it as rationale uh, to start creating public policy uh, that disinvest further uh, in, in communities that are combating this issue and need uh, resources you know, to create jobs, to stabilize families, to secure housing. And so it just, man, it seems, I sound been judicious with my words, right? But it seems dangerous and silly uh, to, to take that tack. No, that's good. I, I think when we get to the point where, you know, we want to make something disappear because it doesn't fit our narrative, we're hurting ourselves. We, you know, Christians have to deal with the truth. We deal with it in love. But again, the people that use that term to deflect and use it to make certain communities look like they're lower than their own community. That's a huge problem. And that, and that's where this initial problem comes from. It's a response to that. It's the wrong response to that, but it is a response to that. So that is our episode for today. I know this was a very heavy ep- episode. We're going to have those from time to time. We are committed with the and campaign with not just doing things that are going to get us retweets and get us patted on the back. We want to have real conversations. Again, when we talk about some of these issues, whether it's crime or whatever, you see that somebody like Chris has been in this for a minute in Chicago. He's been dealing with this. He's been loving the people. He's been seeing what their issues are. So we're not just talking. Uh, We're really trying to have an impact and do what's best for the people. Feel free to disagree, but understand that what we're saying is out of love and we've got to address these issues uh, honestly and in a real way. So uh, that's it. Uh, And camp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ and camp. Until next time. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.